What's going on, guys? Your boy Elroy here, and welcome back to Your Boy Elroy. I am Your Boy Elroy, and I'm here with my good buddy, Andre Rodriguez. Andre, what's up, man? What's up, everybody? What's up, Josh? <laughs> so, we had a interesting weekend of a fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's just get right into the uh, review for UFC 234, the one fight card. In the notes, I called this the Mortal Kombat main event. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva. Let me just ask you one simple question. Did it live up to the hype for you? No. Oh, okay. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Why? What was... Because the internet was gushing about this. I thought it was cool. I thought it was fine for what it was. But it was not the Mortal Kombat main event that everybody was saying that it was. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Israel was very tentative in there. I understand why. Because one, even though he said that you know he's going in there to whoop his ass or whatever... There was a side of him that that he knew he didn't want to knock Anderson out. And I get it. He's his idol. He modeled his game after him as far as the MMA world. I mean, the MMA world that he stepped into a few years ago. But, man, I just... I expected a little more from Israel. And as far as Anderson, he looked pretty good in there. I mean... Head movement was on point. He was tagging Israel where other fighters that were much younger could not. And um, Israel took shots well. I just think that there should have been more action. But I do understand that in a game, in the game of inches, it can be very hasty. Especially when you have such high caliber strikers of that, of that magnitude. But overall, I would score the fight a B. I think there definitely could have been more action inside three rounds. Yeah, my problem with the fight was the same as you say. There wasn't enough action for me for these two high-level strikers to go in there and play touch butt. Like, like, dude, just make out already. Like, I get it. <laughs> you guys love each other. But I came here to watch a fight. Like, I didn't like... That Adesanya, like, you could have knocked him out. You could have finished it. Don't get me wrong. This fight didn't drop his stock. It obviously raised it just because of who he is right now and whatever he does. But this fight was a product of the crowd making the fight. The reason the fight was as cool as it was was because the crowd loved every second of it. The only thing I liked... Was Vintage Anderson putting his hands down. Vintage Anderson going to the cage and telling him to come here. Those are my favorite parts. Obviously, I scored the fight two rounds to one for Adesanya. With the slight edge of that one round to to Silva. I'm pretty sure you had a similar score, if not all three, for Adesanya. So, I mean, it it was fun for what it was, but it did not live up to the hype for me. Yeah, it's certainly, the hype was main event worthy, but I will say that 
if there was any fight that could have happened that could have definitely boosted both of their careers, it was that one. For Anderson on his side, it definitely solidified his legacy as fighting a young lion that was basically the heir to his throne of being one of the greatest strikers in UFC history. It, you know, it was kind of a rite of passage kind of fight, or you could say the passing of the torch. Um, and for Israel, it was that too, but it also raised his stock because he was not taking easy fights. You know, he could be fighting bums just to get ready for Rob, but he's not. And, you know, one would say even guys like Connor, he took a fight with Dennis Seaver, who was garbage compared to him. And I'm, I'm happy that Israel's taking on anybody. Um, but right now, you know, he's got an interesting future up ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, that middleweight division... Let's just move on to the news because this is the first part of the news. Let's stay in the middleweight division. Uh, Robert Whitaker versus Calvin Gaslam obviously was canceled. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking for Robert Whitaker. Second fight booked in Australia for him. Second fight canceled due to something that happened to him. It all was so going so well like me and you were like oh great the uh the weigh-ins happened you know they both made weight the the face-off was awesome and then the night the morning of the fight i send you a text he has a hernia immediate surgery dude they said his like bowel was like ridiculous like his colon was like outside of his stomach like something ridiculous it was insane, and, and I feel for him because this was his chance to finally fight somebody who had good skill but wasn't Yoel Romero. Mm -hmm. So he got to test his skills against a new opponent and to solidify himself as the as the middleweight champ again. But God, it's just almost unheard of what happened to him. It was like GSP, excuse me, catching ulcerative colitis. Who mm -hmm. saw that coming? Nobody. And and the the crazy thing about you know fights like these is that. It, it's good that he is recovering and, and will be out, back out there soon. But, you know, I just, I, I hope that this won't hinder his career because, I, you know, I even read somewhere that he had holes inside of his intestines or something obscene like that. Nobody has really had the full scoop on it. I just know that um, Rob's a tough guy. He's been through this before. I know he's going to want to come back and still dominate, especially now with Israel Adesanya emerging as the new man to beat. And, you know, it will be unfortunate if the UFC makes an interim title for Adesanya to steamroll Gastelum because it's obvious that that's going to happen. But, you know, in the name of of uh, good title fights, I, I want to see Gastelum versus Rob Whitaker because it's a good matchup. But, you know, I wish all the best for him, and I hope he gets a speedy recovery. Yeah, so obviously the fights to make right now, Gastelum versus Adesanya. And the fight that's going to happen later on this year, Costas versus Romero. We've talked about that fight. Yeah. This is the sixth episode. This has to be the sixth time we talk about that fight. That fight has to be happening. Yeah. So moving on from the middleweight division, we move on to the quote-unquote GOAT. <laughs> Artem Lobov, he signs a deal with Bare Knuckle FC. Six figures, three fights. Still gives him a chance to sign... An MMA contract to do whatever else he wants. What can you tell me about Bare Knuckle FC? The only thing I know about it is that Johnny Hendricks was there. I don't know anything else, though. 
So if you want to give me a quick breakdown on that, is is there anything? Is this something that I should be watching? Um, I would say that if you are a fan of, um, I guess hybrid boxing, this would be something interesting. You know, like uh, it's a spectator sport, and um, I like bare knuckle FC because it's a true form of fighting. You know, there's no gloves. And um, you get to see what happens when you really get punched in the face with knuckles. So it's an interesting take on on, on fighting. Um, the only thing I don't like about it right now is it still kind of has that underground approach. And I do respect Bare Knuckle FC for what it is, which is a spectator sport. But I think it should get a lot more recognition. There just aren't any upcoming prospects in Bare Knuckle FC. So far, it's just honestly been a bunch of washed up mma fighters or leftovers or, yeah just guys who are just trying to get back into it um to make some money some fast cash and you know they're putting their bodies on the line and especially their faces because it is not easy getting punched in the face when there are no gloves or protected hand wraps i mean they have rules where you can choose to not have your hands wrapped or what they'll do is they actually wrap up to your the the middle of your hand and then the actual thumb and then the rest of your wrist to for, to prevent your wrist and thumb from breaking while you're punching. But that's about it. Everything else is just all knuckles. Um, but aside from that, I think it's interesting. And, 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 you know, fellow former UFC fighter Beck Rawlings is doing really well. Her boxing is crisp and she is dominating in, that, in the division that she's in. It's scary to see how hard she punches. These girls literally crumble every time she hits them with almost a jab. They just get opened up quick. But I like it, and hopefully it catches some um, some fire ahead of time. Yeah, so fun note about Beck Rawlings. She was on the Ultimate Fighter. I can't tell you what season it is. I don't remember the coaches. But... I remember when they first started promoting that season, she was the fighter that they mainly promoted because she was so interesting looking. She just had like all the tattoos and like, you know, the side of her head shaved and she just looked really cool. And she was like from seeing her there, I loved her. I thought she was so good to find out she really wasn't that good. Like as a full-blown martial artist kind of broke my heart but i thought she was hot (laughs) yeah i mean there was a lot of expectations for her because of her striking and she hold she pretty much held a huge size advantage over a lot of girls maybe not in height but as far as mass she was just kind of scary um and it's unfortunate because you know she ran into a couple of fighters who just either had a better ground game or just could put it together a lot better than she could, which is unfortunate because I thought that eventually she would be a contender. But, you know, it, there's enough to be said that she did compete in that division, um, in you know, in the UFC. But I think that there's still a chance for her. I think she just needs to refocus and, and look at what's important as far as her fighting career and, you know, try to right the wrongs and correct all the mistakes that she made while she was fighting in UFC. You know, because they're going to need to see her fight in MMA again. You're not just going to get a UFC contract for being a bare-knuckle double champ. It's just not going to happen. No, and we've seen UFC give uh, fighters second chances as far as women. So, former tough contender Angela Hill 
came to the UFC off of tough because she was an inaugural strawweight, like a part of that inaugural division when it first opened. And then she went to Invicta, knocked a bunch of people out, won a title, came back and has been like so-so. So second chances, not always the best thing, but hey, it's always a positive thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so moving on from Bare Knuckle FC, we'll stick with that SBG family and move on to Connor potentially leaving SBG. Yeah. Now, I just heard this rumor and there's not a lot of buzz to it, but this started because head coach of SBG Ireland Oh, John Cavanaugh. No, John Cavanaugh. Oh, John Cavanaugh said that he hasn't talked to Connor since the loss. Mm. So I don't know how true this is. You know, those guys, they all work together when it comes to like sparking fire. So, but I also know where there's smoke, there's fire. What do you think? Is this like a big change? Like, could this change the landscape? Of MMA as we know it, or is it just like, oh, Conor McGregor changed teams, no biggie? I mean, this is something that's going to be interesting because there's one thing Conor preached throughout his career. It was loyalty, and, um, you know, he, he, he stood fast in that, but I think that the only saying that will go perfect with this situation is all good things must come to an end. Um, Conor McGregor had such an amazing career, and if it wasn't for his coaches, John Cavanaugh and Owen Roddy, um, he wouldn't be where he is in the position that he is financially or, you know, you know, as far as his fighting career. But the thing is this, if Conor leaves, I don't think it will make much of a difference, but I think the most important aspect of this decision is, excuse me, where he decides to go because he does not need to go to a place where they're just going to tell him that he's the best in the world and just hold pads for him. He needs to go to a gym where he is going to be challenged by high-level elite fighters and he needs to be challenged fast. He needs to go to a place like probably Greg Jackson's or TriStar Gym, places that have masterminds in them you know like greg jackson faras sahabi guys like that he needs to be around and there are some good talent in his weight divisions over there and it's important that he goes to a place that is going to better his career and not hinder it you know if he goes to some crappy gym where they're just like oh you're the best in the world you know you know we're just gonna push you no it's it's not gonna happen he has to be challenged because he has a lot of holes in his game and it all arrives in one area his ground game i don't know where he got his brown belt from but we haven't seen the skills yet so he has to go somewhere and prove that he's a brown belt yeah obviously the rumor that came out is that he's been training at att atlanta i don't know personally any fighters that fight out of there that are notable i couldn't find anything online but the reason that rumor started was because he stopped in there to train during that Super Bowl week while he was at a you know he went to the Super Bowl to go watch the show with his family so obviously as a martial artist he's gonna find a gym to work out at yeah exactly and 
Something that I really like about this, and we spoke about this last week with all the different call-outs of him. Again, this week, him calling out Anderson Silva, not really calling him out, but saying that it'd be an honor to fight him, was that I just feel like he's so motivated to get back in there. I think he realized that, you know, he was taking this job for granted uh, with the losses and, you know, like, he could be better. He should be better. You know, it's not all personality in there. Like, you have to have skill. And he has skills, but he's not a complete package. Yeah, not yet at least. And it's unfortunate because people thought that he was going to be the greatest fighter of all time. But um, he's had a huge setback. He talked his way into a huge money fight, and he got destroyed. It would be different if he went five rounds competitively. But now, I think that... Maybe this is his chance to refocus, and I think you know, with his with his desire to come back into the sport and compete like he was never the double champ, will be very important for his career. And um, I hope that no matter where he goes, I just hope that he will take his career seriously from here on out, and fight some tough opponents, and hopefully pull out some victories. Yes, and the. Uh... Cerrone fight is rumored to happen during International Fight Week. So that should be exciting. That that week is always very, very busy. But let's move on to a very, very busy weekend in fighting this week. Oh, wow. Dude, there's three cards in a row. Saturday or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Bellator has two, and then the UFC has one. Mm-hmm. So let let me give you a list of names of notable fighters fighting this weekend. Yes, Matt Mitrione, MVP Michael Venom Page, Paul Daly, Chet Congo, Vitaly Minikov, who. The only reason he's notable is because he was the Bellator heavyweight champion for a while and then just, like, walked out. But he's finally back, signed back with Bellator, and he's fighting Czech Congo. Mirko Krokop, Roy Nelson, Eric Silva. That's Bellator. All the notable fighters fighting this weekend between two cards. But that doesn't equate... To the list of fighters on one card of UFC that are notable this weekend. Francis Ngannou, Cain Velasquez, Woo. James Vick, Paul Felder, yes. Cynthia Calvillo, Alex Caceres, Crone Gracie, Brian Barberina, Andre Feely, Miles Jury, Jimmy Rivera... Aljamain Sterling, Nick Lentz, Henan Burrell. The only reason this next fighter is relevant is because he's Becky Lynch's ex-boyfriend, Luke Sanders. What? And finally, Jessica Penne. Nice. All notable fighters fighting this weekend. Let's start off with Bellator. The Saturday night card, obviously... The the main event, the main attraction this weekend that's not Kane Velasquez is Paul Daly versus MVP. Oh yeah. Andre. 
what do you see happening? Because as much as I love MVP, I see my man taking a nap this weekend. There is a huge size disadvantage for Paul Daly ahead of this fight. I know there's going to be a huge speed disadvantage, but it all comes down to Paul Daly being able to test MVP's chin. MVP really hasn't been hit much in his MMA career. Um, You know, he likes to cite that a lot. But here's the thing. I said it off air, and I'll say it again. Paul Daly has been at the pinnacle of the sport. He's fought the best in every organization. Guys like Josh Koscheck, all the way up to Nick Diaz in his prime. You know, prime Nick Diaz, where he was the best in the world outside of the UFC. And Paul Daly has that experience. You know, he's, he's no Evangelista Cyborg in this case. This guy's coming in here with incredible knockout power in every part of his limbs. And I think that if he touches MVP once, he might go to sleep. But he will have to crack the code that no one has been able to crack. And that is MVP's impeccable striking. I mean, this guy mixes every kind of martial arts discipline as far as striking into his game. And he mainly uses his karate and um, it's just so hard to beat. He's just too fast, too quick, and too elusive in there. But I think that Paul Daly has a chance. It's it's a puncher's chance for a reason. So let's see how this fight goes. Yeah, my biggest thing is just, like, this isn't Israel Adesanya versus Anderson Silva, but there is a clear... Just Paul Daly is a veteran in there. Yeah. He's fought the who's who. Like, he's just fought better competition. There's a chance that he can finish this guy. Yeah. Either that or a star is really made. Like, as much as you want to call Michael Venom Page a star, who has he fought? Nobody. Nobody. He just does stuff to get people's attention. Yeah. That's it. It's not that he's like... We're not talking... He's not Israel Adesanya, but he's good. He's not great, but he's good. Yeah. He has not proved himself. And, you know, I hate to be that guy um, because I think that there's a lot of organizations that have elite fighters who can go into the UFC and steamroll guys. But if you really want to test yourself, try to get that contract signed with the UFC and let's see how all those antics work against the top ten. Because I know for a fact I can name at least five fighters who would literally bulldoze MVP in less than 30 seconds and destroy him. It's that simple. But he has to test himself. And, um, you know, aside from the UFC, if he wins this tournament, he's got to run into guys like John Fitch, Roy McDonald, Douglas Lima. I mean, come on. Killers. Let's see how he really Killers. And especially, aside from Roy McDonald losing... He is the real killer in that division. This man can box. He can he can strike. He has incredible wrestling. He's a high-level black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And for almost 10 years, he's been a black belt, I believe. He's that high-level. There's nobody as high-level as him other than Douglas Lima. Okay, and we saw what happened in the Douglas Lima fight. He pulled out an incredible victory in the last round. But MVP's got to get through guys like that. And if he can't, all those antics gotta stop because you're not this high profile fighter that you think you are until you've proved yourself. 
Yeah, we we're gonna need to see a more serious MVP. Yeah. Coming out of this fight, going into this fight, and coming out of it. Yeah. Because I just don't see those antics working on this dude. Yo, how to get away with murder? You gotta ask Rory McDonald because that dude is a serial killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Moving on from Bellator, I am excited for that. That's on the Zone or the Paramount Network or both. I believe they'll probably be on both. Yeah. On both. Okay. Yeah, I'm definitely watching that on Saturday. Moving on from Bellator, though, I have three fights I want to talk about in this UFC card. Like I said, this UFC card is stacked with notable fighters. But let's start at the debuting Crone Gracie versus Alex Caceres. You are a martial arts, like, junkie. How excited are you to see Crone Gracie step into the octagon? Oh, God. It makes me so excited. Smoke is coming out of my ears right now by how excited I am. This is the thing. Other than maybe one or two Gracies that got in the UFC and just didn't do well, this is the guy who's going to bring the Gracie name back. Okay? He fought six times, and six times he won. They weren't always the most impressive wins, but with his pure jujitsu, he found ways to beat fighters who were either strikers or other grapplers. This guy is the real deal, and he's not going in there to be a punching bag because Chrome Gracie has some skills, okay? But here's my thing. He is running into a guy who is very unorthodox and very unpredictable. Alex Caceres, he's one of those guys like an ADS. He wins some, then he loses some. But when he fought... El Pantera, Yair Rodriguez. You clearly saw that that was one of the most exciting fights of that year because Alex Caceres came in with that unpredictable style. And, you know, El Pantera was having a bit of issue with it because he was fighting a guy who was pretty much doing the same things that he was doing. And that's the kind of fight that Alex is going to bring to Kron Gracie. But the, the, the key to victory for Kron is simple. He's got to take him down and he's got to beat the living mess out of him on top. Not on bottom. The UFC is known for not really giving the best, um, I want to say, scores to, you know, bottom guard type fighters. Yeah, um, because they. this is something that we should cover one day. And we could probably devote a whole episode to it. But the scoring system has to change. Yeah. There, there's, there's a certain level of efficiency that is involved with being able to trap guard your opponent on bottom to avoid damage. Guys who have mastered this and have created a dynasty from this is our boy Eddie Bravo. He understood what it took to keep guys relevant in the, in MMA by using that kind of jiu-jitsu to trap guard guys and to keep themselves safe and also look for submissions. And... Cron Gracie can do that, but if he doesn't lock a submission in, he's going to lose the fight. Um, this is why guys like Damian Maya had to change the game, learn how to wrestle a little better to get guys down, and then implement your game. And that's what Cron Gracie has to do. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm not, like I said, I'm not an MMA purist like you, but seeing and knowing that the Gracie name is back in the mix... This is like the Gracie's last hope. <laughs> I'm excited to see that. The next fight I wanted to talk about 
mainly because our boy Paul Felder from Philadelphia is fighting James Vick. James Vick, excuse me, James Vick coming off of maybe the most embarrassing loss of his career versus Justin Gaethje just... I think he woke up like six weeks ago for his training camp. Like that was the first time <laughs> he opened his eyes after eating the most disgusting shot. One of the dirtiest knockouts I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean this dude. I mean it's like they say, man. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. And this dude went down like a tall tree in the forest. Jesus Christ! I felt so bad because James Vick, he's got skills, but. Damn, he got cracked. And, you know, Justin Gaethje said it. I'm here to either knock someone out or get knocked out. And he was ready to get knocked out. And James Vick was not ready to get knocked out. I mean, you got to bring a certain level of you know strategy when you're fighting a guy like Justin Gaethje. And I think in this case, James Vick, he froze in there. It's hard to fight a guy like Justin. You have to have a certain grit and you got to really need, you really need to dig deep. And I don't think James Vick was prepared for that. Yeah, there's something about going into a fight knowing that for 15 minutes the guy in front of you is going to bite down on his mouthpiece and, and move forward. Yeah. That's all he does. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because he's like a very high-level wrestler. Mm-hmm. And, and on top of that, one of the most underrated parts of his game, and, and you know Joe Rogan gives him a lot of credit for this, He's one of the scariest leg kickers in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you see guys like Edson Barbosa. He sets up a lot of those dirty shots with those leg kicks. Yeah, and the, the scary thing is that he uses that in his game plan because he knows, I'm going to push the pace. And if I can take the power away from your lead leg, then I know that I'm going to hit you with really hard shots. I mean, that's why he was so successful in World Series of Fighting. Because he would just chop you down over time. And he fought high-level guys. And they just couldn't do it. And he even fought former UFC elite contenders and destroyed them with the same game plan. He's just got it. But unfortunately for James Vick, he's fighting another guy like that who just recently fought Mike Perry and went three rounds and almost won. Mm -hmm. Paul Felder is a savage. I personally have seen Paul Felder train. This guy's the real deal. Yeah, and have you seen him? Yeah. This dude is ripped. Ripped. I don't think I've ever seen him like this. He's ready. I mean, look, he almost got a title shot against Khabib. And the only reason they didn't give it to him was because he wasn't ranked. He knows that That he's a high-profile guy. That was wrong. It was wrong in so many ways because if there was anybody who was going to give Khabib a real run for his money, it would be Paul Felder. I've seen Paul Felder train. He's got the ground game. He's got the takedown defense. He can wrestle. But most of all, his Muay Thai striking is very dangerous. This guy is elite. And now, when he's fighting James Vick, he's finally going to get a real high-profile opponent. Unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to fight Ali Quinta. But he's going to fight a tough guy in James Vick, and I know for a fact that he's going to destroy James Vick. There is nothing that's going to stop Paul Felder from getting to the top of the division. I know that. If he could go three rounds with a killer like Mike Perry, then I know James Vick doesn't stand a chance against him. Who do you, from the winner of this fight, who who do they fight next? I think that Paul Felder winning this fight would mean that he has to push for that Ally Quinta fight. Um, I know now that Ally Quinta is not getting a title shot right away. So I think that Paul has every right to f- push for that fight. And if he cannot, then I think it's only fair for him to push for a fight with 
the likes of guys like, you know, the winner of Gaethje and Barbosa. I mean, these are the kind of fights that he needs in his career. And and, and I'm not just saying this because he's the hometown kid. But I'm saying this because Paul Felder, you know, has been in some tough fights. And unfortunately, he did lose to Edson Barbosa. But he's ten times better than he was back then. And I know that he can make some noise in this division. So that that's definitely one of the fights to make. Yeah, I mean, Connor doing, is doing his own thing. The title is in limbo. You know, you got to figure... Tony Ferguson's gonna fight somebody for the title because Dana's not gonna let that title sit for a year. Yeah. He's already made that clear. Khabib is good, but he's no Conor McGregor when it comes to drawing ability. That's true. I mean, that's very true. Um, And and the thing with the lightweight division right now is it's the most stacked division in the UFC right now. It's the most, like... Not just the most stacked, it, it has the most fighters. Yeah, and it also has the most dangerous fighters. I mean, guys coming up in the lightweight division have to be the most well-rounded fighters in the world. Because these guys are going against each other. And God, you never know who's going to emerge. I mean, you got guys now like Gregor Gillespie who's coming up. Paul Felder. I mean, Jesus. Eventually, I forgot all about Gregor Yeah. after we kissed his butt like two weeks ago. Not only that, you got guys who might be moving up like Max Holloway. If Zabit wins the featherweight title, I mean, he's going to defend, what, two, three times and is going to want to move up. There's so many more fighters that are coming to the lightweight division. And, and it's this time where it's the greatest part of the UFC right now is that division. It's just unfortunate what's been happening with Tony Ferguson and Khabib. But, you know, at the end of the day, somebody's going to come out on top. But I think that, and, and I'll say this just because I think it's really important to note, especially in this episode. I know I talked about it on one of the previous episodes, but I think that there needs to be an eight-man tournament. I think they need to make an eight-man tournament, and I think they need to first make a couple preliminary fights to determine who's the top eight in the lightweight division. And I think that needs to happen probably by next year because with the way the division is going, there's just been two names, that well, three names that have been on top. And everybody else has been fighting for a chance to get a title shot. Ferguson, McGregor, and Khabib. Yeah, and it's only fair to those fighters who are busting their ass every time they get in there fighting top contenders. I mean, come on, you've seen Barbosa, that he's fought the best of the best, including Khabib and Tony Ferguson. And and, and th- if anybody would, you know, deserve a shot, I thought that it would be him, even though he's lost. I know that uh, other than them, he's probably number four. He's He's one of the best in the world. Yeah, I can see, like, three or four upsets coming out of that tournament as well. Yeah, and... Like, that that lightweight division, if it wasn't for that number in front of your name, it's literally anybody's game. Yeah, and that's the scary part, because I can tell you the top eight right now. I mean, you got Connor, of course, you got Tony, um, you have Khabib, you have Kevin Lee, you have Edson Barbosa... Um, you have to have Paul Felder in there, Gregor Gillespie, and I'm going to go with uh, Gaethje. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Poirier, too. It's going to have to be a 10-man tournament. Killers. So many Killers. guys. Dustin Poirier's got to be in that tournament, Killers. too. And, and it's crazy because, man, there's just too many. And, and, and the last guy I'll say is definitely Max Holloway. Come on. He has to move up. He has to move up because there's no point, there's no drawing. Um, in a fight with Jose Aldo, another rematch with Brian Ortega, this, this, it's not going to be fun. And and the thing is, if, if that 10-man tournament happens, holy crap, the UFC's ratings will skyrocket like that because everybody's going to want to see who's the top in this division, who is, excuse me, the best of the best. 
everyone fighting everybody in such a high stakes type of tournament. I mean, you're looking at everybody who's dangerous everywhere. Think about the fighters that I just said. These guys are the best of the best. And that's the last thing I'll say about the lightweight division because if not, that could be its own episode on its own. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, the, we've talked, like you said, we've talked about these tournaments. They should happen, especially when you're having cards every week of the year. Like, you have the time. Yeah. You have the platform. Mm-hmm. Just make it work. Let's get into this main event. Wow. Talking about killers. Francis Ngannou versus Cain Velasquez. Let me just say, as cool as this fight sounds on paper, I hate this fight. This is a terrible matchup for Francis Ngannou. Yeah. Um, Jesus, man. This is no Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos one. Ngannou has insane knockout power. But... I know Kane's going to go in there with a good game plan. He knows what Francis brings to the table. He's very strong, but the man who laid out the blueprint for everybody was, of course, Stipe, the greatest UFC heavyweight, I think, of all time, aside from Kane Velasquez. Let's be real. Kane has been against the killers in these divisions, guys who hit like Mack trucks in the heavyweight division. And he beat all of them, including a notable win against a very large man, Brock Lesnar. He knows what it's like to fight huge men that, you know, he's always been at a size disadvantage against. And he's going to go in there with the proper mindset. I think that the only issue is what happens after. If he beats, you know, Francis Ngannou, where does he stand in the heavyweight division? Because let's not forget who the heavyweight champ is. And it's unfortunate that everybody doesn't want to talk about this as much as it has to be talked about. When he wins this fight, what will happen with Daniel Cormier? Because Daniel Cormier just announced that he's pushing his retirement to to a later date. I mean, there's so much drama going on outside of the lightweight division as well, and it's in this heavyweight division. Because we also have Kane calling out John Jones. I mean, this is just going to be crazy. So, Kane's last fight... UFC 200. Yeah. He beats Travis Bum <laughs> in convincing fashion and then takes some time off because of his back. Ever since Kane has left, I'm going to name to you some contenders, two to be exact Stipe, Derek Lewis. You know what? I'll even say Curtis Blades. The dude deserves a little bit of respect. Just because he can't beat Nganu doesn't mean he's not good. Yeah. But. These are all fresh fights for him. Mm-hmm. You know, you got Brock coming back. Who else? You still got Dos Santos. And I would like to see that again. I don't see why not. The heavyweight division has some people. And he, he hasn't fought in a long time. Like, you can't... I don't expect him to get a title shot after just beating Francis. Yeah, it's not convincing enough. And the thing is that... I think the the biggest name you brought up, of course, was, yeah, Curtis Blades. Because that will be his toughest fight. Curtis Blades is a high-level wrestler. He's getting better. It's unfortunate what happened in the Nganu fight. I think he got steamrolled. He just wasn't ready for it. I think that there's a lot of fights in Curtis Blades' career where eventually he will get a title shot. But um, 
you know, like you said, Kane's got a lot of opportunities in the heavyweight division. But it's also, you know, to be noted that he is getting, you know, later and older. And um, he doesn't have much left from what I've seen. And he has to go in there with the proper mindset. He's got to fight smart in every fight. He's got to take the least amount of damage. And he has to just still remain having a high output. He's got to outwork everybody. And he just has to fight smart. And and I'll say that again because it's so important. The UFC heavyweight division is continuing to evolve. And if he runs into a guy like Stipe, it's going to be bad if he doesn't have the right mindset going in. But, I mean, what else is there to say? Because at the end of the day, the guy on the top of the food chain, the baddest man on the planet right now, is Mr. Dad Bod, Daniel Cormier. <laughs> so let's see what happens with that set of controversy. Jeez, I forgot. Alexander Volkov. Oh. You got Ale- Alexi Olenek. I forgot all about these people. Justin Willis, you-, you spoke about him a few weeks ago. He's a contender. You know... Heavyweight division, there's some people still. You still got that big freaking bum. What's his name? The dude who threw the... uh, (laughs) Fabricio Verdun. Oh, yeah, He's still signed. He wants his release, but he's still signed. So, moving on from the biggest fight weekend of the year thus far, let's get into Fantasy Warfare. (laughs) This week's Fantasy Warfare is brought to you by Suplex Philadelphia. You guys like sneakers? I really like sneakers. Do me a favor and head to Suplex Philadelphia for all your sneaker and street wear needs. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring this week's episode. Andre, this week's Fantasy Warfare is Luke Rockhold versus... Ang Lang Sung. Ang Lang Sung. I had to write it out phon- uh, phonetically. I had to write it out phonetically. <laughs> so this fight is an interesting fight. I don't know anything about Ang Lang Sung, but what I do know is Luke Rockhold. He's 6'3. He has a 77 inch reach. He's been fighting since 2007. He is 16 and 4. All his losses by knockouts. His wins 6 by knockout, 8 by submission and 2 by decision. He holds a two gold medals in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and a silver medal at the Pan American Championship, which is pretty cool. His last notable fights, a loss to Yoel, a loss to Bisping, a win against Weidman, a win against Mashida. What could you tell me about Unlung Sung? Well, Unlung Sung, to a lot of people's surprise, is that he's actually from America. Um, you know, he went to uh, a university in Michigan. And um, he's been training ever since he was there. And this guy right now currently is the double champ. The middleweight champ and the light heavyweight champ in one fighting championship. He's the real deal. Record stands right now 24-10. and 10. Now, I will say he had a rocky start to his career. He fought everywhere, but most notably he fought in Bellator. 
Um, but his career has picked up over the last two to three years. Right now, he's on a five-fight winning streak. And he's looking like one of the best champions that one fighting championship has ever produced. This guy is very high level, and he's very well-rounded. He stacks up well. Um, right now, he's about 6'1". Um, I don't know his reach, but what I can tell you is this dude is stupid strong. I mean, and one of the scariest things about him is that he is so patient, and he is so poised in every fight. He's afraid of no one, and you can see it every time he steps in there. What's his primary, like, martial art? I'm going to say kickboxing. I mean, this guy... Other than that, he has impeccable takedown defense. He's very well-rounded, but his kickboxing is incredible. I mean, he's fighting guys who are usually stronger than him or taller, and he just knows how to pick them apart from either the inside or the outside. And like I said, he fights a weight class above as well. He's fighting 205ers, and he's beating them well. His last two fights, he defended the middleweight championship against tough opponents, and in to my understanding, yes, he actually finished both of them inside of five rounds with punches. I mean, this guy's got, you know, real punching power. And like I said before, I mean, he, he just stacks up well with anybody. Yeah, so if you had, well, you do have to, this is fantasy warfare. Yeah. You have to break down this fight. What is going down? Because Luke Rockhold, when I first saw him, I'm like, this dude is a kickboxer. But he's has high-level jiu-jitsu. Yeah. How do you break that, or how do you pit that versus Ung Lung Sung and his punching power? This fight, I know for a fact, doesn't go to the ground. Like you said, Luke has incredible high-level jiu-jitsu, but he does not have a strong wrestling game. And Ung Lung Sung's takedown defense is very underrated. I mean, this guy fights the best of the best in 1FC, you know, the best that 1FC has to offer. And let's be real, man. I mean, Luke Rockhold has been knocked out already twice in his career where he's been... No, I'm sorry, three times where he's been starched. Yo, Romero starched him, Michael Bisping starched him, and TRT Vidor starched him. <laughs> and Ong Long Song can starch him very easily because, like I said, if there's one thing that, you know, Luke Rockhold has had trouble against is against real strikers who have serious punching power. I mean, he's picked guys apart with either the ground game or it just, you know, kicks. But that's really all he has. I mean, Luke Rockhold does not have good boxing either. So if I'm looking at Luke Rockhold's skills versus a well-rounded fighter like An Long Song, who's also very experienced, I go with An Long Song inside three rounds. I think that's how the fight plays out by TKO. I think he overwhelms Luke Rockhold, and I think he hits him with a shot that is going to send Luke Rockhold to Mars. So, with that being said, Andre, thank you for the breakdown. Fantastic. On Lung Sung over Luke Rockhold by TKO. Thanks for that breakdown, Andre. No problem. Next week. Now, I let you know before the show... My thought process when it came to Fantasy Warfare was I really wanted to pit the old school with the new school. So this year, my pick is in the light heavyweight division, and my fighter is Kevin Randleman. Such a good fighter to pick. Who you got? I got Anti-Wrestler Rumble, the one and only 
Anthony Rumble Johnson. <laughs> so good. That was Fantasy Warfare. Again, thank you, Suplex Philadelphia, for sponsoring this week's Fantasy Warfare. Let's get into listener questions. Oh, yeah, brother. This is Chris from Suplex Philly, and you're listening to your boy, Elroy. Oh, yeah. Our first question this week comes from me, Andre. If you could pick one form of martial arts to, like, how I asked you what's Unlung Sung's primary form of martial arts, what would yours be? Interesting. Like, my own? Yeah, like, what would... Like, if you were a fighter in the UFC, and you know how they announce you, and they're like, this fighter is a kickboxer, this fighter is a jiu-jitsu practitioner, you know, like, what would you consider yourself? Or what would you want to be considered as? Oh, man. That is a really interesting question. Out of all my martial arts experience, which isn't that much, um, primarily I'm more well-versed in striking. I love the ground game, and I actually love the ground game almost a little more than striking. But if I was in a UFC fight with a top contender, I want to keep it on the feet. So I'm going to go with striker because I have more confidence that I can keep the fight standing and implement my game more than just trying to pray for I, that I get the takedown and go for a submission. Submissions are can be risky if you don't have a, a firm grasp on them. So I'm going to go with striker. Great question, by the way. Yeah, if I had to pick, I'd want to be a wrestler. I think it's because I've grown to love the wrestling game so much in my later MMA years because obviously like when I first started I just wanted to see people get knocked out but I just have this appreciation for high level wrestlers nowadays that I would love to be that and there's something about a high level wrestler that they always have really decent striking yeah I mean I'm gonna be honest Joe Rogan said it best somebody on his podcast asked him if there was one form of martial arts that would dominate the sport right now and it's just base form what would it be and he said wrestling of any kind whether it's folk style freestyle um at the end of the day when you look at wrestling it is one of the sports where it can control your opponent in the best way possible you can control the pace of how fights going with wrestling you can dominate your opponent with wrestling. You don't have to be an insane striker to beat somebody with wrestling. As long as you're on top of them punching their face in, you're okay. But the best part about wrestling is that a lot of wrestlers are able to adapt and become great strikers. And one of the reasons why is, I'll give you two reasons. Collegiate level wrestlers and world championship level wrestlers have some of the best cardio and they are just not, I want to say physically strong, but it goes deeper than that. These guys have incredible control of their bodies, and that's why they're able to, you know, learn how to throw kicks properly and learn how to throw punches. They're just the most well versed. And when you've seen guys who just straight up started in MMA just as a base, they don't do as well against wrestlers because 
no matter how well-rounded a fighter is, if he started off with wrestling, he'll always have that edge against you. He'll always know what to revert to if he's fighting a high-level striker or a high-level jiu-jitsu practitioner. They always have wrestling to go back to. Cool. So, let's get into the next question from Big Homie Pash. Pash says, MMA has evolved so much in the past 15 to 20 years. Who from past generations would you most enjoy seeing... Who from past generations would you most enjoy see come up today with the level of knowledge, training, and diversity in today's MMA? Amazing question. If there's one guy that I think could have definitely adapted to this game nowadays, I'm going to have to go with Frank Shamrock. Frank Shamrock was one of the most well-rounded guys in his time. He had good striking, um, and he also had, obviously, some of the best submission wrestling anybody had ever seen. I mean, multiple pancreation champion. He had incredible fights against Boss Rutten. I'm sorry, um, pancreas fights, excuse me. Um, But Frank Shamrock, over the years, you could clearly see he had a distinct edge over everybody. Not only was he strong, but like I said, he was one of the more well-versed guys just all around. Um, And I think that if he was fighting at middleweight, I think he would make a lot of noise in the division if he was in his prime now with uh, a lot of the fighters. So I would go with Frank. Yeah, my pick, and this is strictly for you, Pash, there was something that I watched today on YouTube that has me thinking about this fighter all day. My pick would be Matt Hughes. I just think, like, after this video I watched today, this guy does not get the credit he deserves for what he did, how he fought. He was just a beast. Yeah. Like, an animal. And I would love to see him against the welterweights that are in the division nowadays. Yeah. Like, I would love to see him shut up Kobe Covington. Oh, and he would do that very dominantly. Yeah, very quickly. He would be one of the only guys who could probably give, like in his prime, he could give a serious run for his money, Tyron Woodley, for sure. I mean, you know, he always had trouble with strikers, but at the same time, I mean, once he learned how to strike, he was he was giving people work. And in his time, he was really dominant, not just because of his wrestling, but... He just has this genetically enhanced strength that you saw. I mean, he could just ragdoll everybody. And his submissions were incredible. So I think that that's an excellent pick. Yeah, and the final question comes from Donovan the Lowdown Lloyd. (laughs) His question is, does being champ champ mean anything anymore? And he has a second part to this question. Will another loss for Connor ruin his legacy? Or is he just seen as another fighter? I'm going to kick this off. I'm going to answer the second part first. I don't think that Connor's legacy is ruined by another loss. I think there's something about Connor where nobody in the game, UFC, Bellator, anywhere, nobody in MMA takes a loss like Connor McGregor. He's very calculated in how to takes his losses. And the follow-up to when he loses is always class. Like, he knows his place. He knows what's next. Yeah. 
you can see right now, he's not gunning to fight Tony Ferguson. He's not trying to fight Dustin Poirier. He's like, all right, I'll just fight this guy who just came back to our division. He'll fight Donald, you know. Not to mention Donald's a name. Yeah. But, um, and Champ Champ, I I hate that phrase. Um, it's cool that you win two belts, but if you're not defending them both, like you said, it doesn't really mean anything. We spoke about this on prior episodes, too. Like, I'm tired of the champion versus champion fights. It devalues the divisions that lose, and it's just, it ties up both divisions. It's it's just not fair. I'm over it. We spoke about this before. I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, honestly, I mean, as far as Connor. The one thing I do respect was he was upset after he lost to Khabib, and he was immediately, you know, demanding a rematch from Dana. Um, Dana obviously was willing to give it to him, but eventually he came to terms with the fact that he lost, and he said he'll fight anybody that he has to fight in order to get back to the title. And I respect Conor because, you know, he understands that he is the biggest draw in MMA history, but he, you know, he is, like you said, he's really good at taking losses, and he's also good at understanding that, you know, being one of the best in the world comes with a lot of responsibility. And yes, you do have to get back and fight top-level fighters. So I'm glad that he was, you know, gunning for a, a fight with Donald because I think this is the kind of fight that he needed to really test himself. The last time he fought a guy over six feet tall was Nate Diaz, and we saw how that first fight went. This is the kind of fight that he needs to refocus himself. I mean, because let's, let's be honest, if he beats Donald, and that's a huge if on my end. I don't know about you how you feel about it, but this is a huge fight for him. And he's got to go in there with the right mindset because Donald has size, he has speed, he has power, and he is very versatile, whether it's on the ground, whether he's on his back or on top, and he also is a very high-level striker. So, you know, Connor's got his hands full in this fight if this fight, you know, eventually comes to pass um but aside from that yeah i'm i'm also done with the champ champ thing um there's no value that it holds anymore it's like you said if you're not defending the belts it literally means nothing the only reason you should get a title shot against another champion is when you've cleaned out your division guys like max holloway deserves a champion versus championship fight but like you said you should be defending both belts frequently yeah, like, people made a big deal about Daniel Cormier technically defending both belts in a calendar year, saying he made history. But here's my problem with that. He defends the light heavyweight title. He wins. He goes on to win the heavyweight title. or He defends the light heavyweight title. Goes on to win the heavyweight title. Defends the heavyweight title, but never goes back down. <laughs> So what are you telling me there? That doesn't mean anything. That means you were a light heavyweight and now you're a heavyweight. All I can say about that is that I respect Daniel Cormier's career. But let's be real, man. They gave you an easy fight. Derek Lewis? Come on. Even Derek Lewis said it. He said, I don't deserve to be fighting for a title. But obviously, if they're going to call him and say, yo, we need you, and we're going to pay you a lot of money, Derek Lewis, who has gone on record saying that he's only doing this for the money, of course he's going to take that opportunity. Yeah. And I'm not mad at him for it. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Derek Lewis always has a puncher's chance. And God almighty, that puncher's chance is leaps and bounds ahead of anybody else's. But Daniel's first title defense should have been against Stipe. That's the only way he would have been, in my book, legitimized as a double champion. Like I said, I take nothing away from his mixed martial arts career because he is incredible. He is the daddest man on the planet. But God almighty, man, you can't go into, you know, these claims of being the champ champ fighting guys like Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis won his fights fair and square, knocking almost everybody out. But it's not enough because you have to fight guys who are elite. And Stipe deserved that title shot. I am honestly just finished with the double champ stuff. I want to see tournaments now. I want to see the best of the best fighting. Bellator got it right when they started doing that. And UFC needs to do that now because that's the only way they're going to beat these other organizations like 1FC and Bellator. I mean, come on, man. Like, just get with the times. The tournaments are the new thing. And, and you know, they're not new in the sense that they just emerged, you know. It's it's a thing of the old. Bring back the tournaments like you had in the original UFC events. That's what that's what brings fans. When you're watching everyone fighting together and and somebody's going to come out on top after the whole division is cleaned out of the top 10. That's what fight it. Real real fight fans like me, you know, like you. Um that that's what we want to see. Yeah. So, thank you Pash for your question as always. Donovan, thanks for coming back this week with a strong question. And thank you guys for listening. This has been Your Boy Elroy, episode 6. I am Your Boy Elroy, Josh Prep Igina. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all forms of social media, at Elroy Preps in one word. This is my buddy Andre. Andre, you did great again. You can find him at Flow State Dre on Instagram and Andre Rodriguez on Facebook. Please guys come comment on our post. Let us know what you think of the show. Five star ratings and reviews guys. We need those for this show to grow. We thank you for everybody who's already left a review and thank you for anybody who has given feedback on the show. Make sure you share it and let your friends know Great. that your boy Elroy is the next best thing in podcasting. Andre, you got anything else to say? Hey, man, everybody. Have a great week, and thanks for tuning in. Yeah, if it's your birthday, happy birthday, and we'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>